You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on my show, I'm talking with Kristen Kennedy. Kristen, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, Kristen, let's see. It's September 1st in 2021. We're going to talk about your, your work at the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art and also as an artist. Uh, but I feel like I should ask what's happening in your neighborhood at the moment. It's um, <laughs> you know, a specific time in history. Are things open? How's, yeah, how's the neighborhood? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think that, you know, for a long while we all were, um, you know, uh, you know, really plodding along through uncertain territory. I don't know if it's gotten any more certain, um, but, you know, exhibitions and other activities were really slow and far between um, in town, um, and everyone really was um, focusing their efforts on, um, you know, the um, kind of rallies and protests and really spending their time on activist pursuits. Um, a lot of artists were engaged in, in that as well. Locally, um, PICA, um, at the start of the pandemic, where I work, the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art, um, continued honoring our artists' contracts and projects, even though we didn't know if we were going to be able to stay open or if anyone would be allowed to come to the programming. Um, and we were able to put on a few exhibitions and um, other programming in person and host small audiences and still, um, you know, keep artists engaged and paid and, you know, making new work. And, and that's been extremely rewarding, although incredibly difficult to navigate at different um, points. It, there have been moments of joy in that. Um, and so currently, um, it, PICA has a program that's been going since 2003 called the Time-Based Art Festival, and it happens every time uh, this year. So last year when it came around, we knew that we couldn't make a, a giant festival that really relies on liveness and collective gathering as its like center point and energy. Um, and we moved most of the activity online. And then we saw wildfires and, you know, a lot of other things um, prevent people from gathering in public space here. So this year we went kind of tentatively into a hybrid festival which has some in-person and virtual activity. So right now, every year for the past like 24 years, has been the most busy and frenetic time at PICA, and it's when we really like kick into high gear. And so even though it's a much more modest program, um, that energy is present right now. Like we have crews on site building out an installation um, for two artists um, named Simon Liu and Jenny Liu, um, who are uh, based both in Hong Kong and the United States. And they've made um, like two new films and, an, and a sort of sculptural installation um, that's going up right now downstairs. Um, and we have other artists arriving kind of um, in, in, in sequence uh, set to build out um, like installations that will be used for performances over the next three weeks. And um, so every day it's something different. And um, that's what's going on at, at PICA. And I also have an exhibition that's currently up by Aki Onda, 
who is um, known mostly as a sound and music artist and a, and a curator of other um, Japanese sound music uh, here and all through Asia. And this is his first large-scale solo exhibition of, of his uh, visual work. Um, and there's a, a big sound piece. And I'll, I'll be setting up, I'll be getting ready to take it all down in a few days. It closes on the 4th. So I'm installing and deinstalling simultaneously. Right. I, just submitted, I just submitted a Warhol grant. Um, and I'm, I, just, I start teaching this week. I, I teach at um, the Pacific Northwest College of Art, a contemporary art seminar for grad students that's about um, sort of rejecting art history um, entirely, <laughs> trying to um, analyze how we document the now and what we would want to include or um, how we would make our own history. Um, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a painter, but I'll admit that with everything going on, my um, and actually my whole life, even when I wasn't this busy, although I can't remember a time I wasn't this busy, um, my studio practice is um, like in fits and starts. So I go really deeply into the studio and like never lift my head up. And then I have moments of fallow where I'm just, you know, reading or doing pica work or traveling and thinking um, until it builds up for me to start painting again. Uh, I used to have a lot of shame around that because of sort of the idea of an artist needing to always be in their studio. But um, after years and years of meeting and working with other artists, there's such a variety of production styles. And um, so I've kind of come into an acceptance of my own weird patterns in there. So I know this a like lot, that, but that's, yeah. that's what I'm working on for sure. I like that. That's interesting that, that, that kind of as you said, some shame around that. It's just such a interesting and, an odd thing, this idea of how much should you be should you be in your studio, and of course you can do whatever you want, right? You're an artist, and the practice can be anything. But that sounds like a position you've really evolved into in terms of, which I love to hear because that sounds kind of um, embracing of your own practice in a bigger way to to uh, to be not critical of follow times, as you're saying, because that's part of your practice, right? That that's the way. Yeah. And I see curating and teaching as an extension of my practice, although it would be difficult for people to see a one-to-one -one relationship because I make abstract paintings and, you know, but I, I will say that it all feeds, it all feeds um, each other. Um, and I've always, you know, I don't know, romanticized the writer who takes seven years to write their next book and, the musician who makes one great album. And um, I think that artists actually are pushed, visual artists are pushed at a production schedule that is really driven by capitalism and not um, creative practice all the time. So I think it's okay to reject it a little bit. And, you know, more power to you if you have to be in the studio every day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's amazing. But um, for me, I've had to accept that I need um, I need long breaks and then a lot of pressure um, to make paintings. I like that because it is true. I think there is uh, something to this idea of, I mean, even the way I interview, I ask people what they're working on now as opposed to what, what they have been working on. Or, you know, as, as if, um, 
you know, we are the last thing we've done, right, creatively is, is often how, right. how careers are looked at. And, of course, that, that doesn't really make any sense um, or, or yeah, seems to be a kind of, uh, yeah, version of, of, of a capitalist way of seeing it. What is, what is, what's the latest? What's the greatest? What's the, what's the most progressive? What's the most, you know, well, what's, I mean, the latest progress on, on whatever it is. So it's so interesting. And I can see how that comes from <clears throat> both your education and the, and the museum as well as your own practice. Um, so before we talk about, I would like to, would like to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the, Pika and also the what's coming up the um, you know the the festival the time based art festival but in your in your own practice what um, what kind of things are you working with in terms of um, message or content or or, or form in, in in your paintings? Uh, well, I think a lot of the time I think of my paintings as shrouds, so they're often dealing with like impressions or stains that a body might leave behind. Um, Mm. Not necessarily only in death, but um, in like living. So like a, like a stained tablecloth after a dinner party or like sheets after lovemaking or, um, you know, uh, yeah, just kind of like a human patina and maybe even energetic impressions as well. And they sometimes are flags or protest banners or other things. Um, A lot of the times I'm painting on unstretched linen. And so uh, that the freedom of it is really important, Um, not being pinned down, being able to be, like, hung in any way, layered on top of each other, twisted, you know, piled up, and um, not very precious. Um, And, you know, I do make stretch paintings as well, and I kind of get into that formality, too. Um, I recently um, was, uh, I don't know if lucky is the word, but uh, someone used my, um, a director used my house and studio to film a movie or part of a movie that's coming out about artists, um, like a, a fiction, fictional story about two artists. And um, I was telling someone, and I had told my um, dealer this years ago that like, when she asked me, like, where would you really want your work placed? And I was like, oh, inside of a, a movie. <laughs> Because um, I, I I kind of think about um, like the removal of the work and having it in this um, sort of cinematic space um, would be interesting. This like still painting, but in a moving picture. Um, so sometimes I'm thinking about that animated quality or um, something like that. I've always wanted my paintings to be shown with video, and that has not really happened yet. Um, Everybody always wants to put me in um, shows with other um, uh, femme painters, uh, which is a kind of a cross to bear. But, um, uh, yeah, I'd say that that's what I'm working with. And, and why do you want it shown with videos? Why that, why that preference? That's interesting. I feel, like, I feel like I am thinking about, like, I am thinking about movement in the paintings and, 
animation and duration and time. Like the paintings I'm making get um, stained and layered and um, kind of abused and then get put in the washing machine and a lot of the color gets washed out and then I start again from almost scratch and keep going and sometimes they get washed out or bleached out or, um, you know, many, many times, dozens of times. Um, and so there is this sort of like maybe thinking about film stills or, or early structuralist films or early video art. Um, I went to school in Western New York, so um, at Alfred and um, was also really influenced by stuff that was going on in Buffalo and um, loved all that um, kind of, yeah, early video stuff. So, so I'm, uh, you know, I love painting too, but I, um, I somehow, I don't know, I've always wanted to see the, the two together. I like that. Yeah. Well, I, I have a relationship and, um, and that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad we talked about that. And because the, the, the way you're hanging them both on the wall, kind of unstretched as, as well as stretched, uh, seems to speak a little bit to the class you teach as well in, in history, right? Um, this, this kind of, uh, and also what you mentioned in terms of, you know, the, the, the awareness of the restrictions or the, or the impositions of, of capitalism, um, kind of, um, I mean, it strikes me as kind of aware of the shackles that are on you or potentially on artists and, and breaking free of them consciously. Um, I don't know, is that a stretch there, or is, 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 is that part of what's happening in, in things like the way you're approaching hanging them, um, in particular, I, them being unstressed? Yeah, I think you're on to something there. I mean, there's definitely a sort of rebellion or rejection going on um, there, and also sort of a lot of celebration of that freedom, and, and also I've, I've written like tiny bits in in artist statements and things about um you know there's there's all of the paintings have already been made in the world there's they've already all been made and so why make another one and you can't escape um that kind of history of making and um and so you either like reject it outright and pretend that you're like <laughs> you have some singular thing to say, you know, that's very unique or you kind of um, join in, you know, get on the bus with all the other makers and say that you're a part of like a history of mark making, you know, that extends thousands and thousands of years into the past. Um, and so, yeah, I am thinking about that with my work and um uh yeah, trying to trying to connect it to that sense of like that that like a kind of time, an alternate timeline. I like that. That makes sense. And um and to talk a little bit about the the programming, um let's mm -hmm. talk about the time based art festival. How has that changed? I mean, you know, over the course of last year with all the efforts that um, that the institution has done to kind of, as you say, honor commitments with artists, time-based 
you know, art takes on a new meaning a little bit in this kind of mm-hmm. Zoom-based culture, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yes, hasn't it? Or, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that technology has been there for the last, like, two decades, right? We could have been, we could have been, like, going virtual with all of our programming for a long time, and, and some institutions do. Um, but the festival was really started it started in 2003 and it really was a reaction to lots of things going on like politically globally and with audiences locally and thinking about that concept of like the same 300 people going to everything and how to make um, art a civic dialogue and to connect with different areas of the city and Christy Edmonds, um, who is Pika's founder and really, you know, dreamt up the festival, um, which at the time it was like the first of its kind in the in the United States, um, but very common format, you know, all over the rest of the world. Um, and when she was traveling, she would attend some of these other festivals, sometimes a dance festival, sometimes something that was more multidisciplinary. And uh, there would be kind of like a hub space for people to meet up at at night and you know, you would go into all the different venues in the town and walk around. I mean, I think in some cases in the visual art world, some people might think about what happens to a city when an art fair plunks down in it. But these were gatherings that didn't have sort of a commercial aspect to them. They were really social. There was a lot of people writing about the work that was being made during that one, like, kind of moment in time. And she thought about Portland as this small-sized city where people can walk or take the streetcar or bike around and how to make use of all the unique venues because Pika was also itinerant for a really long time. We didn't have a hub space. So anytime we did programming, we were borrowing space or using empty space. So to put like 30 things going on simultaneously across the town seemed really exciting Um, and it allowed us to collaborate with a lot of other institutions in town. Um, And um, there's a lot of experimentation, like a room to have like really virtuosic projects, like something by Laurie Anderson in a 900 seat theater and then have something happening like on the street Um, or in a storefront by a more emerging artist and have all the artists in town at the same time seeing their work as well as audiences. So you could imagine the sort of depression that sets in when you think about making a festival that's about, you know, community and and all of these other things and bringing it online. But I think that what we were hearing from artists is that everything needed like things needed to continue, but also like slow down at the same time. Like some artists that we talked to didn't even know how to go on, how to make their work that we were in conversation with them about. And so we were like, okay, like this year, let's just do like a small talk with you or we'll postpone it and we'll send you some money to like do research and development. And, um, other artists were like, oh, I'm really pivoting and I want to try this thing out or I want to show this film that I made once, right? So we kind of adapted in that way. And and our first um, thought was like, let's just um, mark this time, right? So that was the way we were thinking about time is that like 
there there will be this absence if the festival just like disappears this year, like so much programming um, was or is across the country still. Um, you know, it it um, we were like it, it, that just can't be. We have to have something there for people to gather. Um, some place for people to gather or even just know something is still continuing on when everything was so dystopian. And, you know, also to acknowledge the moment, a lot of the content of last year's festival was like really um, just engaging with what was going on across the country and um, right at that moment. Um, and, and, and this year there are, there are things manifesting that started in conversation last year or even the year before, right? So it took two years for even small little projects to happen. Like we were talking to Jenny and Simon Liu about screening their film, which was being made um, in 2019 in Hong Kong during the uprisings there. And um, it, it wasn't quite ready or they weren't, they didn't know how to put it out, um, with us at that moment last September. So when we reapproached them this year about showing it, they said, you know, yeah, we would like to show it, but also we have this idea of making it um, at more of an installation. And would you be open to talking about that? So it's been these like um, real, I mean, we're always pretty collaborative with artists, but um, even more so really transparent, really stripped down conversations. Uh, you know, our budget was, completely slashed. So trying to be honest about what is actually achievable that isn't, um, that is still um, ethical in terms of how we're, um, you know, paying artists and paying crews what can actually happen on site. So this, so at our uh, building um, this year, which we got in 2017, um, it's a really large, um, empty, raw, flexible warehouse. We've cited uh, before five projects um, that all have to kind of share space with each other, and they're kind of armatures for performance actions or other things that, could, that are going to happen. But there's not going to be like people sitting in chairs watching a big, long theater piece this year or, um, you know, or dance or music or anything like that. They'll be sort of witnessing projects in action and development. Um, and then um, we've moved our conversation series online and have a couple of films and other um, more experimental projects happening online. Um, and that has brought up, um, you know, we, we were used to people like coming in for TBA and gathering together, but what's of course been happening with putting things online is that there's more access to people. Um, and from all over. So the audience has shifted uh, once again. Um, we're doing a few uh, outdoor walking projects that are dealing um, three, three different artists, um, but all of the artists um, want to deal with the history of this site of our building, which is in a historically um, black neighborhood that has was gentrified um, in the 30s and 40s and uh, basically redlined and um, a lot of people were displaced and uh, resettled in other areas of town and there's been a lot of pain around um, 
that happening and it sort of, the neighborhood has sort of never recovered since then and so um, artists are kind of doing these walks, these processions um, through the neighborhood um, in in three really different ways um, to kind of address um, that history. Um, and then we have one project which I started last year called the Who Cares Clock, uh, which is a male project. I, I was I was really intrigued by the fact that um, in an effort to learn and unlearn uh, last year, everybody started reading, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden everybody was reading everything. And um, that was like a, a way of like aligning yourself with like a sort of progressive movement towards like um, learning um, how to be anti-racist or learning how to decolonize or, um, and uh I wanted to make something that was a series of essays that paid people to write. And, um, and I was thinking about um, zine culture um, in the early nineties when you would send away a dollar to somebody or something and they would, with a self-addressed stamped envelope and they would send you back, you know, their, their little zine. And, right. um, what email it might be for people. M-A-I-L, correspondence art, of course. Yes, right? yes, correspondence art. And, and that, um, that people were sitting at home feeling isolated and maybe a way of gathering an artist or, or uh, excuse me, an audience and having people um, select to participate in something could happen through the mail. Plus the post office was being ravaged at the time, right? So that I was like, oh, let's use this space and make people buy a bunch of stamps. So um, people sent me stamps, and then I sent them back um, a small broadside. Um, last year, I commissioned um, uh, this writer and scholar and artist named D.A. Carter um, to write an essay. And of course, in an act of resistance, he wrote me a poem. And so we produced a small um, broadside and sent it out to over 400 people um, who sent me stamps. And it was also really kind of an incredible exchange and, and, and really a gift to me <laughs> to come in every day and be able to like hand write out something and understand that there were people out there that still wanted to participate in the exchange of ideas. Cause it, you know, from inside of the festival, Become, turning ourselves into like a TV studio here um, and like digital broadcasting network overnight, it was pretty uh, lonely, right? You, you want to be with the artists and with the audiences and it just wasn't here. Um, so this year we're doing our um, second edition and um, uh, the artist and writer is Aileen uh, isagon Skyers. Um, who's a sort of internet aware artist and scholar um, and culture worker yeah, based out of New York. And um, they're writing about um, different solstices and they, they did write two essays and we're producing more of a zine this year and people can uh, send me four stamps and then I send it off to them. So that's at the printer uh, right now. So that's another way I'm thinking about time is that publication. I love, I, I love that. I love that whole idea of the, of the project and the publication and the zine. If, if people listening now want to be part of that, can they also send you four stamps? Is that for yes. the public? Yes. And, and is, yes. 
and they could send it to me even after the project is even after the festival's over right we still have issues even from last year so it's sort of a never-ending thing until we run out of copies you know but um yeah the they can um send it to um uh the who the who cares clock or twcc and at Pike's address, which is 15 Northeast Hancock, H-A-N-C-O-C-K Street, uh, Portland, Oregon, 97212. And, it, and it's four stamps. So I need four stamps in their address, and, and then I can turn it around and, and send it to them. And, and those are for forever stamps, letter stamps. Yeah, for forever stamps. Yes, I should be clear. Yes, for letter stamps. Um, yeah, I already have um, four requests, and, you know, we we just put the website up the other day. So that was exciting, you know, um, to see that, you know, people are already reading. Yeah, so the information is also on PICA's website under the Who Cares Clock. And I don't know if you know what a Who Cares Clock is, but it's, it's like a, a um, kind of a gag retirement gift you would give somebody. I'm imagining it started, like, in the 1940s, I collect the clocks. Yeah, I collect the clocks, and they say they usually say "Who cares?" on it in like, and then all of the numbers of the clock have fallen to the bottom of the clock, and it's basically a kind of thing you give someone who's retired because like now who cares about time, right? Like what day? The joke of like what day is it? But during the pandemic, of course, like the concept of time and your daily time and what day is it was really prevalent and time just sort of melting and getting jumbled up. And also this phrase, who cares, you know, both like the sort of apathy of it and also the real true sincere question of it, like who cares right now? Um, So um, this is like a collection of my, like of my own, like these who cares clock. I have one hanging in my office and I have many at home. And so I'm staring at them all the time thinking about them. And I've always wanted to use it as a, an image or an icon or a title for something and didn't know what. So it just came together in my mind last year. And, and I guess the goal would be to have 24 issues as many hours of the day and and that could take the rest of my life and even though um even though we're, we've released one during last year's tba and one during this year's tba i also didn't want it to have like a production schedule so it might be that like issue three comes out in five years from now i don't know right i i there's sort of uh i didn't want to um, make it too formal um but it's right. it's kind of addicting to make publications, so <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I might just can imagine. Yeah. You you or you might just do it more often. You're you're about to say. Yes, I I, it might be that it becomes an annual thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, and it's that. also I like, I like the way you're moving forward with that. It's, yeah, it's 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 nice that you're giving yourself the freedom to go either way. Yeah, and last year the edition, like the issue was. Uh, number 4 a.m. and this year the artist picked 11 p.m. so each person that's writing also selects the time of day so it's not going in like or you know time order I like that I like that it's it's been great talking to you about all of these things um excited to see what, what what's what's ahead in the future and I 
I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? So um, I'm reading two things. One, um, sort of very slowly that I bought several months ago, which is, a, it's a, I think it's a popular book right now, um, titled Crying in H Mart um, by Michelle Zauner. Um, and it's about um, the, the author's uh, mother dying. And um, just uh, her wrestling with that and also thinking about, like, Asian diaspora. And, and then, like, for work and for teaching, <laughs> I've been reading um, this book called Sight for Unlearning, um, which um, the team at Casco Projects, which is like a UK um, oh, excuse me, in the Netherlands, uh, Casco, the Office for Art Design and Theory in Utrecht, Netherlands. Um, it's a book about uh, that organization kind of um, looking at its own structure and, and trying to break it apart a little bit. Um, and so I'm reading it so I can teach from it. Um, and then the other book I just wanted to mention is uh, that I picked up again also to, to have my students read uh, letter, letters from it out loud is um, uh, Letters to a Young Artist, um, which I can't remember all of the editors, but Peter Nesbitt was one of them. And it came out also, I think, in the 90s. And the proposition is that um, a young artist wrote these like 25 artists um, a letter that you don't get to read. It's not published in the book, but you kind of understand what the letter might have asked from the responses. And then artists like William Popel and Yvonne Rainier and Peter Shore and all of these um, artists, uh, Joan Jonas, wrote responses. And um, I found teaching extraordinarily hard last year. Out of 11 years, it was one of my hardest years teaching. Um, the cohort was really resistant and like experiencing all this trauma and we were just little black squares on a screen. It was horrible. So this year I wanted to like start with like everybody reading out loud something really tender. Um, and these letters are really, I mean, there's some harsh realities written in them, but they're really an interesting thing to, to take in if you're an artist. Um, so I recommend that book also. I think it's out of, print, but you can find copies of it around. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing that and, uh, and, and everything. It's been great talking to you about your work and also um, all, all the programming that's, that's happening in Pika. So I just want to thank you so much for your time and wish you well. There's, there's links in here so everybody can follow up some of what we've talked about. So thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks so much, Brainerd. It's been a pleasure um, to get a moment to to enunciate some of this. Sometimes I'm in my head or in my computer a lot, so thanks for the opportunity. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>